0: You're listening to The and Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The and Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode, Minnie from at Minty Books, that's with two whys, joins me on the podcast to chat about her bookstagram account as well as her Etsy shop. We have a chat about The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa, which would have to be one of my most memorable reads of 2021. It truly is beautiful, but I do hate to break it to you, there are some spoilers in this episode. This book is impossible to talk about without using spoilers. So if you are contemplating reading this book, I highly recommend you do, and then circle back and listen to this episode of the podcast. Hi Minnie, and welcome to the Book, Story and Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to be chatting to you today about one of my most memorable reads of 2021. Yeah, me too. The Memory Police for me would have to be one of my most memorable reads for 2021. But for the sake of this question, I've come up with another answer. But I want to hear yours first. What was your most memorable read of 2021?
1: I was also stuck because there's so many that I read in 2021 because it was probably the year where I read the most books I've probably ever read. (laughs) <laughs> um, so the one that stuck with me most is probably The Discomfort of Evening by I think it's Rich Neveld. I think I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right um, I read it I think it was like in January last year um, and it was just so me like the book was just so like it was kind of morbid but also I don't know if you read it or not um, but yeah it was really good and I would recommend people looking at triggers before before reading it, but it's just one of those books that really like
0: grips you to to the very end. And I think sometimes that's what makes a good book is that you 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 like it, but you might not actually be able to articulate all of the fantastic things about it that make it so memorable. Yeah,
1: it's hard to like um, recommend it to people as well because it's it's such a weird subject in in the book as well that I'm like, I don't want you to. Like feel like you're forcing you to read it because it's just so good, but you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mine would be uh, *Infinite Country* by Patricia Engel, and it's set across continents and time. It shines the light on Talia and her family who are separated across two different worlds, um, and are in two different countries. So, uh, Talia urgently needs to get back home to her father in Bogota so that she can board a flight and be reunited with her mother, her sister, and her brother who are all in the USA and it just, it was a tiny book, but it packs a punch. was probably the best description of it. Um, So yeah, although it wasn't an overly long one, I learned a lot about cultural myths about what it's like adjusting to life in a new world, particularly when you can't speak the language or you don't know if you can, if you go home, you won't be able to come back. Um, And definitely made me understand why people live countries apart from their loved ones or how those situations can occur and happen. And then it was just beautifully written as well. Like the language was moving and there was loads of symbolism and intricate characters. So I, I would definitely recommend that one because it is very memorable.
1: That sounds very me as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. You haven't read it yet?
1: No, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds really good.
0: Yeah. It, it's similar to The Memory Police in the fact that it's so small that there's just so much in it. Yeah, yeah. So, Minnie, you are joining me because you have a Bookstagram account. Your Bookstagram account handle is at Minty Books with two Ys. Can you describe your feed for my listeners? My feed,
1: I would say there's a lot going on in my feed. Uh, I'm one of those people who, like, I try to have the whole aesthetic Instagram thing, but sometimes it's hard to sort of stick with one thing because obviously, like, for me, each book – well, I use my drawing as well in my posts. So I tend to have like a lot of color um, and I also try and make it a bit fun. I always put like doodles on my, on my pictures and stuff, especially if I'm doing like a review, I like to put the quotes I liked and stuff um, on the side of the image. Um, but yeah, I think having a book for me is more like a personal blog as well. I like to remember what I've read in the year. Um, and like, I like to go back and see what I thought about that, especially if I reread something, Um, I like to see if my opinions changed, stuff like that.
0: That's a great space to be able to reference back to and to capture like a moment in time. I like that you also brought up your like your use of color and your use of drawing and in particular last year you had a lot of pastel colors and that was definitely one of the things that made your account stand out to me do you have yeah. any advice for people who are trying to create a certain aesthetic on bookstagram particularly when it comes to like those brighter pastel tones
1: yeah i think it's i think it's hard when you first get started on bookstagram because there are so many people who do an amazing job of editing their photos and taking like perfect uh, flat lays and stuff like that um, but I think the main thing is, it's just to pick something that I like to do. I like to like incorporate me into my posts. So obviously I'm quite like, I like cute things, pastel colors and stuff like that. I think it's just finding that and then sticking with it because, or else you might get overwhelmed. Um, but I think you can use, um, editing apps like, uh, foodie is quite good cause it's all like presets for you. I know a lot of people use Lightroom as well, which is good if you've got presets, but I find it sometimes it's quite, uh, a task to do on top of taking the photos. Cause obviously you've got to do all your editing on there and stuff. Whereas if you just go on like a foodie or is it, I think it's visco, visco. Um, <laughs> I think they've got the,
0: the presets for you. So it's quite easy to sort of make a coherent theme. I've only just started experimenting with presets this year. And to be yeah. honest, I think I was living in a bit of a bubble. <laughs> I don't really I I wasn't really putting much time into my bookstagram account but talking to some other friends about it and going like I'm just a bit over my account like I want to change up what I'm doing I felt like there was no room in my house that had any light and then I felt like the photos just never seemed to look the same and yeah a friend had mentioned she's like um everyone uses presets like, or not everyone, but a lot of people who get those aesthetics that I really enjoy looking at and would aspire to use presets. And it's definitely changed the game for me. It's actually, it's meant that I feel like I don't have to be as perfectionist about the time of day or the right light because you layer like a preset over the top of it and it unifies everything else on your feed.
1: Yeah, definitely. And obviously like in the winter here in the UK, it gets dark, like, you know, half past three. So you don't, you only have a limited time to take photos if you want that natural light. So even just like investing in like a little um, like handheld light and just being able to put presets on, it just makes it so much easier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, even though it might feel like it takes time, I think it takes you, you can take two or three pictures and you've got the picture you need because you've got that yeah. preset that you can use over the top of it as well. What's your favorite picture you've ever posted?
1: I had to go through my feed to find this for this question I think my favorite ever picture I've posted on my bookstagram is when I went to London last year um and it's the first time I've been to London and gone like book shopping um and it was just amazing I took a picture of the inside of daunt books and and it was just it was mind-blowing because the bookshops we've got here we've got we've got like a waterstones um and some smaller bookshops but seeing like the amount of books in there and how nicely they were displayed. I had to take a picture and post it because it's just amazing in
0: there. A true bibliophile picking a photo of a bookstore as your favorite ever photo. (laughs) So you also have a shop that's called Minty Art. Can you tell my listeners about your shop and the products you've created to sell on there?
1: Yeah, so I graduated uh, doing graphic design last year. So I wanted to bring something... I wanted to do my own thing but also you know doing my regular job in the day I still need to have some kind of creative outlet um so I decided to make a little Etsy store and I like to also incorporate my interest in that so obviously there's like book themes stickers um bookmarks I like to do um and then I also started crocheting recently as well so I've done quite a few like reading buddies um which they seem to do really well and I'm really happy with it because I love them as well. So it's good to like see them in other people's homes and like people posting pictures of them in book carts and stuff like that. It's just really cute.
0: And where can people go to
1: purchase the items? Um, so on Etsy, if you just type in Minty
0: Studio, it should come up as my um, shop on Etsy. Awesome. And I'll put a link as well in the show notes to anyone who's listening and would like that direct link as well.
2: Welcome to Books in the City podcast. I'm Becky. I'm Emily.
3: I'm Kayla. I'm Libby.
2: And we're your new bookish BFFs. A few years ago, the four of us met in a book club in New York City where our conversations spanned from the book club book to every other book we've recently read, what we're watching on TV, our love lives, living in New York City, and everything in between. We'd end up staying out all night chatting and having fun and eventually started referring to ourselves as the sex in the city of book clubs. Now, you can join the four of us every Monday for a new episode where we get together to chat about our recent reads. After each episode, you're left with four new book recommendations to add to your to-be-read list, and we'll leave you with a few laughs too. You can catch us anywhere that you can find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our surprise author interviews and bonus episodes. Visit us at booksinthecitypod.com to learn more about us, and we'll see you on Monday.
0: So Minty, I reached out to you because I read The Memory Police last year. I really loved it. And I had noticed that you had read it as well. And I really like your bookstagram. So it went hand in hand, excuse to talk to you and also a great book to talk about. So The Memory Police is by Yoko Agawa. And for those of you who are listening that haven't yet read it, what are you doing? Like pause the podcast, go get yourself a copy, read it and come back. But pause it after I tell you what it's actually about. (laughs) So it's told from the perspective of an unknown author set in an unnamed Island engulfed by an epidemic of forgetting the memory police was a slow reflective and metaphoric read as birds, flowers and objects slowly fade into, into inexistence. Life continues on without them as best as it can. For me, the story explored loss of culture, oppression, censorship, climate change, and echoed the experiences of those who had to hide from the Nazis in the 1930s, 1940s. This is a translated work, which has also been shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 2020. So I think the most memorable thing about this book, or the most startling thing, shocking thing about this book, is the idea that you could wake up one day and suddenly your possession is disappearing so the question I want to ask you to sort of start the book chat is what is one possession they would hate to wake up and suddenly have to live without
1: I feel like my obvious answer should be books <laughs> um but I actually went for my dog because I, well a dogs in general because in the book it surprised me that like it's not just um objects sort of like go missing or disappear it's sort of like a concept of something like the smell of perfume or stuff like that so as well I was shocked like when birds disappeared and I just thought that must just be so so strange so I put down dogs that I would yeah just completely miss because of the companionship that you get from them and it's just surreal to to think that you could wake up and just not have a whole species
0: there anymore Yeah, I went the obvious answer. (laughs) And yeah, it'd have to be books. Like they just, they enrich my life. They educate me. They ignite my creativity and imagination. And I just, I couldn't imagine being myself without them. I think, yeah, it would be pretty devastating to wake up without them. Um, I also really like erasable pens. So that would also really suck. (laughs) Specific. Yeah. Have you used an erasable pen before? I've never used an erasable pen. Okay. Use an erasable pen and get back to me because they are just, oh, they are so good. And especially someone who (laughs) likes to journal. Um, and as a teacher, like, oh my goodness, erasable pens are just amazing. (laughs) Yeah so um apart from those answers there um in in all seriousness the book the book expresses what it would be like to wake up without an entire species of animal yeah. um there's also a, a number a very few number or a very small number of characters that are mentioned throughout the story and often we're not given names we're just given descriptions of them who is your favourite character in the novel and why? I think my favourite character is, it's split, really. One is sort of not really a
1: character, but the old man who is, who is just described as the old man. I absolutely love that. Um, or the dog, actually, that she ends up uh, looking after for the neighbours, I think, I remember. Um, I think his name was Don. Um, but yeah, those two, I feel like those two encompass like, the friendship term like side of the book the the old man never questions our main character when she needs help and I just think that that's the best thing he's always there like reassuring our main character and even though he's just like known as the old man you can just tell how like he's humble and and he knows how to look after people and you could tell that you could sort of imagine his background as well you can imagine him with a family and you sort of make all that up in your mind as well. So that's why he's my favorite character.
0: Yeah, I definitely, my, my mind goes straight to him as my favorite character as well. He was just so sweet and loyal and kind in a world where other people weren't being so kind to others for fear of their own lives. Um, and it also, I think by having the old man, it enabled um, us to think about like his selflessness and even the the where he, even what he did in terms of building a space to conceal r like putting himself on the line uh, was also very admirable i also liked the mention of our narrator's mother as well like she seemed like a really beautiful character and how she like hoarded away um all the little objects and things that were going as well I thought that was a lot of like foresight on her part Um, and I think she would have been a really beautiful character to have known more about.
1: Yeah yeah I think the same.
0: Yeah so we've already said that the characters have minimal names or no names at all in particular our narrator and the island also isn't given a name, and we don't have any sense of the time frame that's set in the story. Why do you think the author made that decision? I think
1: there's two ways this could go really. And I did a little bit of research because after I read it, I did think there was some relations to potentially it having um, connotations of like somebody with dementia. Um, potentially forgetting little parts of their life. Um, So we could just be seeing the island from their point of view, maybe with somebody with dementia or something like that. But then also it does set the scene of being in this... It sort of sets a scene for for the reader as well, because you think, I can't make up the image in my mind of this island because I don't even know what it's called or what it looks like or uh, what anybody's names are. So it sort of makes you also feel like you're maybe in a sense of disorientation as well, which I think is really good setting for the book.
0: Yeah, certainly. And you don't get hooked on it. Like, it doesn't matter. No, yeah, exactly. It doesn't affect
1: affect the story in the sense of you're not sat there thinking, oh, what, what is this? What does this look like? Because
0: it's like so normalized in their world of forgetting things. I think the author did it as well to transcend time that it could be set in the past or the present or the future and enables us as readers to put our own world or our own lens on top of what we're reading. So like, I might've been able to imagine it as like an Island of Australia, like Australia itself is an entire Island and the same with the UK or like, you know, it, it allows you to put your own lens and spin, but I, I do have to admit, I think I was all, I was picturing it, in japan or like a little island off or one of the many islands i should say of of japan yeah Um, i think i was also doing the same when i was mm, reading it yeah and even though like yeah never says it but it's because you're the the author is japanese yeah yeah (laughs) you're thinking about what she would be picturing as well yes yeah definitely um have you read any of her other novels just while i think of it to ask you
1: I haven't read them, but I actually do have two on my shelf. I have Revenge, and I also have um, The Housekeeper and the Professor. Yeah. Um,
0: so they're both on my shelf waiting to be read. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I've, I have ordered, because I've ordered a copy of The Memory Police that is my own. Um, yeah. But thank you to my best friend, Hannah, for the loan of her copy multiple times whilst recording the podcast. She said I was allowed to borrow it if I mentioned her. On the podcast so there you go there's a mention <laughs> uh but i when i ordered it in i also ordered a copy of the housekeeper and the professor um, yeah
1: that yeah. one really like interested me when i first saw it and i was like i have to pick that up and i haven't
0: got around to it yet but i i will <laughs> and some of the the covers are really beautiful like there's a beautiful hardback cover of the memory police i couldn't get it anywhere and the same with the housekeeper and the professor i couldn't get the beautiful hard cover that would have matched the beautiful hardcover. Oh,
1: <laughs> I also have the paperback. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a nice floppy one as well. My paperback, so yeah, it's good. okay. So it's nice to read, not so pretty on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ah, the the um the whole purpose of a paperback. Um, uh, so the I think probably why we have more than one Yoko Ogawa book on our TBR is that the memory place is so beautifully written are there any memorable quotes that stood out to you that you'd like to share
1: um yeah so one of the quotes which I tabbed in my book was um the ticket was nothing more than a worn scrap of paper that might have been rescued from a trash can and I had no idea why she had guarded it with such care and I feel like that is so this book it just is Uh, represents the whole book in just like a small quote because it's a reminder of like all the things that they lost in the book and for the small percentage of people who can still sort of remember these things um it can hold so much like emotion in just like a tiny scrap which you might just look past and it just shows like even now like you might have something so random that you just have so much care for and someone might see it and think that it's nothing, but to you, it's everything sort of thing. I just thought it was really nice to think of it that way.
0: Yeah. I collect little like ticket stubs, like for theater. Um, and that certainly like reading that passage and even hearing you um, read it out as well, just reminds me of those things. Like I get disappointed when it's a um, a ticket that's a like an e-ticket on your phone. Cause I want the actual yeah. physical ticket. So that I can look back one day and remember all of the different shows that I went to and watched. And yeah, it's, it's interesting how those objects bring up memories and that's exactly what the ticket was. Yeah. And I think that's obviously there's
1: people who uh, collect photos and stuff like that, but even when it's just like a little ticket, something like that, you don't need to explain that to anybody that can mean everything to you without you having to, you know, justify anything.
0: So it's really nice. Yeah. I have two. Um, My first one was very early on in the book. It's such a shame that people who lie here haven't been able... Oh, live. I've typed it out wrong. (laughs) It's such a shame that people who live here haven't been able to hold such marvellous things in their hearts and minds. But that's just the way it is on this island. Things go on disappearing one by one. And that certainly made me think about climate change, and the, like, the environment changing around us and us as a human race, like, losing things.
2: Um,
0: and that it just... We we go on and we don't think about all these marvellous things that are around us or the fact that one day we won't have them anymore because of what we've yeah. done.
1: Yeah, it's quite a powerful statement, isn't it?
0: Mm, certainly. Um, and I guess... Look, it kind of the second quote also feeds into that same theme. It's subtle, but it seems to be speeding up, and we have to watch out. If it goes on like this, and we can't compensate for the things that get lost, the island will soon be nothing but absences and holes. And when it's completely hollowed out, we'll all disappear without a trace.
1: I think I also might have tapped that one somewhere.
0: Yeah, page 53. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that also um, that was also a bit of foreshadowing I thought for the entire novel as well and where it goes, but there's certainly two quotes for me that stood out and really made me stop and think. Um, And I am going to mention two books at the end of the podcast that are similar to the memory police for me. And they feed into that same idea about like climate change and um, the impacts that we've had on our environment as well. Yeah. So that's just one of the many themes that the memory police actually explores uh, along with things like oppression and memory loss and lots of loss of culture, censorship. I love that you also connected it to like dementia as well. And, and even um, any other kinds of like diseases or mental diseases as well. What theme in particular stood out the most to you? I think
1: you've probably mentioned the biggest one that did stand out for me, which was uh, the climate change aspect Um, because of, You know the more disruptive things like the birds and I think it was the roses disappearing. It was so emotional to see those go as well, and to see people saying, "Oh, it will be replaced by a different flower," and it's just it it proves what our sort of mindset is about climate change. That even though even if you know half half of the things in the world disappear, we're always going to think, "Oh, it will be replaced by something or something like that," and it's just like one day it won't though, and obviously that's just really scary to think about and it's hard to imagine humans just like disregarding other animals and species and plants and stuff like that it's hard to imagine us just being like oh it will be replaced by a different flower um but also the the memory loss scene was obviously a huge one as well um, and I think Ogawa handles it really well Um she manages to make you feel the same sort of way like she manages to make you feel like as though you're forgetting these things as well. Um, and I think explaining to somebody what it is to forget something is also really hard, but she manages to make
0: it seem like you, you understand how they're feeling in the book. And I think that also can feed into that earlier question that we discussed about having an unnamed island or an unnamed narrator, because it enables you to really physicalize and uh, get into the, the shoes of... Uh, the character, so to speak, as well, because you don't have all these preconceived notions about uh, them and their past as well. Yeah. Um, for me, it, uh, apart from climate change, because I know we've spoken a little bit about that already, it would definitely be the loss of culture. Um, and I would liken it to the experiences of many people throughout the world who have experienced some kind of like colonisation or invasion or loss of culture uh, through uh, through any means of like war or conquering. Um, And in particular in Australia, our First Nations peoples, when the Europeans came here, uh, they stripped the Indigenous people of their traditions, their language, their family structure, their way of life. And so much of their history today is lost to antiquity. It also made me think of uh, Jewish people during World War II, um, hiding away from the Nazis or concealing themselves in Uh, the walls of others' houses. And I mean, that connects to like the diary of Anne Frank and the little annex that her and her family lived in. So, and uh, yeah, there was just, there was throwbacks to these sorts of things as I read. And that's what I mean about the idea that that book could be past or present or future because it just speaks to other time periods and other experiences of of people from around the world.
1: Yeah, I know I read an an article about um, Ogawa and how she sort of took... Uh, well had the inspirations from the diary of Anne Frank as well and how she sort of had to think about what it would be like for other people like that and having to hide in an annex and and living under sort of an authoritarian sort
0: of rule as well I thought it was interesting yeah how she could take inspiration from it and create something that's removed from it yet also feels so similar to it
3: yeah
0: I really want to read more of her books (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we mentioned r um who is the the character within the story that our narrator conceals within her walls now at the end of the story and as i said there are going to be spoilers uh, but at the end of the story R gets up and leaves the the annex and leaves the home um, and we have our narrator fading away from life how did you react to that ending minnie I, I felt
1: satisfied with that ending. I know a lot of people might feel like they didn't get the closure that they wanted because there wasn't really an explanation of like why things were disappearing or what was going to happen to our narrator or what was going to happen to R as well. And I feel, I feel like it satisfied me because I don't think I feel like I needed to, to know what happened afterwards. Um, it, sort of, it sort of closed off the story for me. I thought it was a really good ending. Um, And although I was quite sad at the ending, it was, it was really good. It was a really good read. So I was very happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm completely fine with an open-ended ending. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I was happy with it to be open and I can just sit with that
1: and think about it. Yeah. What do you think happened to him? I have no idea. I, sometimes when I was looking back at it, I thought, did he ever really exist? And then I thought, I don't, I don't know. And then I was thinking about, obviously, with his family, we, we, we got, like, a little bit of mention about his family, didn't we? About his um, wife. And I think he had a kid as well. Yeah, um, never met the baby. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, I mean, in my head, I'm hoping that he went and met his child. And I'm hoping that everything was okay in that sense. That's what I was hoping for.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, um, I thought it was inevitable that our character was going to fade away like that that's where it was going. And as I said, that, that quote before that really foreshadowed what was going to happen. Um, I, I love that we don't actually know what happened to R so we yeah. can all speculate about what we think that happened. And I think in my mind, he had that opportunity to see his wife and to see his child again. Um, but I don't think it would have ended well. I, I think that, how without the old man and the old man's boat yeah. um, i really think he would have eventually been snatched by the memory police
1: yeah 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 and his return to civilization as well would have been so confusing mm. to him. because obviously he's heard he heard what was happening in the outside world to through the narrator but to actually experience it when he was going outside would have been yeah. totally
0: different yeah and he probably would have st- like stuck out like a sore thumb (laughs) yeah like none of his limbs were missing or anything and he was very capable the
1: limbs missing was probably
0: the biggest Mm. thing that just shocked me as well because I just couldn't
1: think of how that would be working and it was just such a weird thing to think about not being able
0: to like understand that you still have limbs yeah like the leg was there but it was invisible sort of thing
1: yeah it was so strange but I was just like that was
0: such a good way to describe these things. She's just such a good writer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's very clear that we have enjoyed this book. Um, what are some books that you have read that are similar to The Memory Police? I, I honestly can't say that I've read anything similar
1: to it. I know that um, she does pull inspiration and a lot of people liken it to 1984 um, by George Orwell. Um, but I actually haven't read that yet. And um, I can't think of anything that I would properly
0: put it in the same category as that I've read. No. I've got three and they're kind of like bits and pieces that I've picked up. Um, So the first one would have to be The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. I think the, uh, the idea that the idea of like forgetting and memory so Addie is the lead character in that story and she uh, she's forgotten by others around her. So it kind of feeds into that. It's also very beautifully written uh, and has a very memorable ending, which would be some of the other things I'd liken it to. Um, if you are listening and you are interested, I have also done an entire episode dedicated to the invisible life of Addie LaRue and you can find that in season two, episode two. The second book is Clara and the Sun by Kazoo Ishiguro. Um, that whole sort of dystopian slightly in the future setting and uh, the exploration of technology on our world. So whilst we don't see the, the degradation uh, that a lot of things have had on the environment, we see the negative impacts of where technology could go um, and the idea that technology could be replacing a lot of those um a lot of those things that we take for granted in our lives like what happens in the memory police but just not the technology thing Uh, and the final one which i referred to earlier uh, is the last migration by charlotte mcconaughey Um, and it's set in like a cold depleted environment similar to the memory police Uh, and it also explores that loss of um, in particular like loss of animals so that idea of waking up and and birds are no more or in this story, there's a particular bird uh, that they believe to have been extinct or they believed it's the last migration of this bird. So um, again, if you are interested, I have also done an entire episode on that book and it's season three, episode three. Cool.
1: I think as well, any of those, um, any sort of book that has, you, you get the sense of it being cold and gray on the unnamed island. Um, anything with that sort of setting will probably elicit the same feelings as this book as well. Sort of feeling, I, I think the, the weather changes throughout the book, doesn't it as well? Where it gets gradually colder
0: and colder and it's just imagining that it's just awful. Yeah. It's like the sun's disappeared or like the heat has disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today on the bookstore and podcast, Minnie. Thanks for having me. And now, a sweet treat just for you as you listen to the entire episode. Here is a little clip of what to expect in next week's podcast. All right, we are going to spin again. Um, Sarah, what do you hope is going to be spun up? What one do you really want to answer? The one that everyone should read. Oh, okay. What about you, Soph? What one would you like?
3: Maybe the award-winning author. I've got some good ones for that. (laughs)
0: okay so let's let's spin it and see what happens all right it is a memoir by a female
3: author Sophie
0: what's your answer what's a memoir by a female author that you've enjoyed
3: this is one that I actually was really surprised that I had so many to narrow down I I don't feel that I read a lot of memoir but apparently I do because I had about five I had to trim down um but I decided to go with my most recent one which was How We Love by Clementine Ford um I finished that on audiobook last week and if you are an audiobook listener I highly recommend that you listen to this one she narrates it herself and it is really fantastic it was just such a tender and poignant memoir about love in all of its forms Um, and there was a couple of parts that really just put me in a puddle of tears, particularly the parts when she talked about motherhood and what it means to become a mother and what you lose when you become a mother, but what you gain and, and how that the love that you have for your child as a mother is so different to any kind of love because you know that it's a love that will that you want to end, like you know that that your child is one day going to be moving away from you and that, that's the aim. Um, that was a really interesting thing to read about. Um, and also the epilogue where she wrote a letter to little Clementine, the past version of herself, her younger self that just, well, pretty much destroyed me. I was just, I was in so many tears. It was just such a phenomenally written book. Um, I really, really highly recommend that one.
0: What about you, Sarah? What would be your recommendation? I have not read a memoir. But the one that I've got, which I've had for literally a year and a half, I haven't even read it yet, though, is The Space Between by the Shameless Girls, um, Michelle and Zara. But I haven't read it yet, so I can't really recommend one. But I have heard it's really good, especially for girls in their 20s. So I do want to try and pick it up, but I might try and get the audiobook of it because I've heard the audiobook is really good of it. I was going to recommend an audiobook as a way to get into memoir. And even I know you, you mentioned before we hit record on the podcast about not reading much nonfiction for me reading or listening to an audiobook that is a memoir or a nonfiction read is a much easier way for me to consume it. You have been listening to the bookstore and podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the bookstore and podcast.